If you would please open with me to Daniel chapter 9. Kids are dismissed. As always, <laughs> we're in the book of Daniel chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 22 27 this morning. So the last part of that uh, section there. You know, the second half of the book of Daniel is one of the most uh, descriptive timelines of end times that we have in the scripture, in particular, really Israel's uh, timeline. But it's interesting uh, now, as the world's in, a, in kind of another global upheaval, as we do every so often, that uh, people begin to wonder uh, what's happening. And as people begin to wonder what's happening, especially the people of God, we look to the Word of God. Um, in, in, in the Lord, we're really blessed because our Father doesn't leave us in the dark. Isn't that awesome? Uh, I love that verse in Ephesians that kind of of all the blessings that we have there in Ephesians 1, one is that we're brought into the plan of God. He like lets us in on the plan. Obviously, we don't know the day and the hour the Lord's going to return, but he gives us a really great indicator right here in chapter 9. But in the second half of, the, of Daniel, we really get a, a pretty neat timeline of the history of Israel. But if you've been following us in Daniel up until this point right now, we, we've seen God's basically general revealed plan of world history. All the Gentile rulers from Nebuchadnezzar, he gives us some Nebuchadnezzar, all the way to the Antichrist, to Jesus Christ, the return of Jesus Christ. And so we've got a comprehensive view of world history given to us in, in Daniel through different visions and through different images and dreams and these types of things. And we see how eventually that all those kingdoms come down to a final kingdom with a final king, the Antichrist, and then Jesus Christ comes in and sets up his eternal kingdom, the rock or the stone made without hands coming and hitting the feet of all the kingdoms of man and then crumbling and his kingdom becoming like a mountain. And it's just a beautiful picture. And we saw that, uh, that in, the final, in that final kingdom, Jesus Christ is going to return. And we look forward to that because from that kingdom comes a, eventually a new heavens and a new earth. We're excited about that. So we've seen a, a lot here in Daniel so far, all the way up to chapter, chapter 9. We've seen a great overview of things. But the question remains for Daniel is, what about the Jews? you got to remember in chapter 9, they've been stuck in captivity for 70 years. Remember that? They're in Babylon for 70 years. Daniel's most likely in his mid-80s at this point. Remember, he was captured as a teenager. He's been in captivity his whole life, pretty much. And Daniel's been reading the prophet Jeremiah, particularly in 25 and chapters 29. But remember last week we read in, in chapter 25 that Jerusalem would be left desolate for 70 years while the Jews would be taken out of the promised land to let the land rest. They'd violated the Sabbath a lot, uh, basically for 490 years. And for every seventh year that they violated that, God let the land rest. So that's 70 years. And so they were sitting there in captivity. And as Daniel is reading the book of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, right before they went into captivity, uh, God said that at the end of the 70 years of captivity, Babylon would be judged. And, and Daniel has just witnessed that. You'd go back to chapter 5 to see the actual historical event happen. But Daniel's just witnessed Babylon being overthrown by the Medo-Persians. They come in, Darius is established, and then Cyrus, or they might be one of the same person, we don't really know. 
And so the Medo-Persians have just are now ruling, and Daniel's looking at Scripture. No doubt, have you ever had that something happen, and you're reminded of a Scripture? That's probably what happened to Daniel here in the study. He's just going, man, this is a major event that just happened. On. Didn't Daniel talk about that? And he went straight to the Scriptures, and he's reading. And so Daniel reads God's plan there in Jeremiah 25, that at the end of the 70 years, Babylon's going to be punished. Well, they just got wiped out. And so in Jeremiah 29, a couple chapters later, verses 10 through 14, uh, no doubt Daniel's reading this as well, it says, and we kind of know this kind of out of context, but here's the context. For thus says the Lord, when the 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise, Israel, and bring you back to this place, that is Jerusalem. Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. And you, uh, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So that was a promise for Israel. And he's saying, at the end of that 70 years, I'm going to bring you back, but part of that is you must seek me with all your heart. There has to be repentance in your heart. There has to be a contrite spirit. And that's basically what we saw in the first 19 chapters as Daniel's realizing God's plan for Israel is this future and this blessing and that they're going to go back to the land. Jerusalem's going to be restored. Worship is going to be restored. But there has to be something that happens in someone's heart first. And what is that? Repentance. Conviction. Confession towards the Lord. And, and, and Daniel, on behalf of the nation, begins to intercede. And he just pours out his heart humbly before, before God and before the people, uh, on behalf of the people, and just say, Lord, Everything you've done is right. All the judgment that we've had, we deserve. Lord, you are right in everything you're doing. Lord, we have sinned greatly against you. And we, just as you said what would happen, that's exactly what had happened. You told our princes, you told our kings, you told everybody what would happen. We ignored you. We did it anyways. You are right. We were wrong. And Lord, restore your name. I read here what's going to happen. We've brought shame to your name, where the people are supposed to be called by your name. We've brought shame to your name among the nations, and so, Lord, forgive us. And you're the only one who has mercy, and this is just a big paraphrase, but basically just says, you're the only one. Restore your great name, and restoring your name means we've got to be cleansed of our sin. You've got to have mercy on us. We've got to go back to the land. The temple's got to be restored. All these things. Jerusalem needs to be established, because that's all about you. That's what he's crying out in the first 19 verses. So we left off in verse 19 where Daniel, after crying out, he says in verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. In other words, let your name, your will be done for your name's sake, Lord. Right? We see that. So this confession happens. And then immediately, we left off there. Check it out in verse 20, what happens. And while I was still speaking in praise, Daniel right here, confessing my sins and the sins of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God, for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, at the first, 
came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are, what, greatly loved. <laughs> Love that verse. Now, Daniel says here that he got interrupted while he was praying. I mean, Daniel was just going to keep going on confessing his sins. He was pouring it out. And he got interrupted by this man, Gabriel. And obviously, he was in the appearance of a man, but we know Gabriel to be a holy angel. And I don't want to go into this morning for sake of time a study of angels. I've done it in the past uh, using some of these verses. But uh, when we get to chapter 10, we'll roll back a little bit to angels in the dynamic of prayer and God's will and spiritual warfare and all that. But please do keep in mind that the word angel does mean messenger. And that is what they are. They are messengers of God. And secondly, we know from Hebrews 1.14 uh, that angels are ministering spirits sent out by God to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation. Who's that? Well, that's us. So guess what angels do? They minister on behalf of God. They, they, they do His bidding. Regarding us and our salvation, there's a lot more you can go into there, but we have definitely been visited by angels, and angels are interacting with the church and the dynamic of prayer and all this kind of stuff and spiritual warfare. It's, it's pretty amazing. But Gabriel is a messenger from God, sent by God to, to give Daniel a specific message. Daniel, who is loved by God. And so as soon as Daniel began to pray, God gave Gabriel a message. You know, so uh, this is super fast delivery here in this situation. We're going to see super slow delivery in chapter 10. But God gave Gabriel a message to give, the, to, to give to Daniel that Daniel would gain insight and understanding. That's interesting dynamic. And it was regarding the future of Israel. That's what Daniel was praying about. He says, I'm going to give you insight and understanding. The cool thing about God is he's only going to give him understanding about the immediate future. He's going to give him understanding about the entire future of Israel. Pretty neat. That was God's desire. And I also want to briefly mention that Gabriel tells Daniel that the reason why he was given the message is that he was greatly loved. I just, I think that's really amazing. And, and I just, as a, as a Bible reader, I see two really distinct men in the Bible that were greatly loved by God. One of those men, obviously we all are loved by God. We know that for God's love of the world that he gave his son. Right? We, we know this. We're in the love of God. But called out like this, Daniel and John. Remember the disciple whom Jesus loved? John, John keeps on referring to himself as that. And who were those two? What were those two men, men given? The apocalyptic visions of Scripture. It's very unique. God imparted not to the prideful, not to the, uh, you know, the weird, but to those who are loved by God and are devoted to Him. It's pretty neat. Uh, <clears throat> but anyways, <clears throat> Gabriel sent to Daniel and to give him insight and understanding concerning this thing. And so Gabriel says at the end of verse 23, he says, therefore consider the word and understand the vision. I'm going to give you something. Understand this. Consider it. Verse 24, 70 weeks were 70 groups of seven, or some of your things say seven sevens, are decreed about your people and your holy city 
to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in an everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophets, and to anoint the most holy place. Now again, up until this point, Daniel has been given insights to the flow of the totality of human history. But what God is doing here is he's saying, I'm going to give you insight about the history of Israel, the future history of Israel. And, and so what we have here in chapter 9 is Daniel specifically praying concerning Israel, right? Jerusalem, the people, we already established that. What, what comes next? What's going to happen next is what Daniel was asking. And then God tells Daniel through Gabriel that 70 weeks are decreed for Israel. You want to know what's next? You guys have 70 weeks left. 70 weeks of what? 70 weeks of sevens. And most, almost all conservative Bible scholars agree that they're talking about years here. 70 groups of seven years. So he's saying, and in fact, 70 times 7 is 490 years. You've got 490 years left, Israel. Now, there's more to it, obviously. But God tells him there's 70 weeks decreed concerning your people and your holy city. That's what he's talking about. So this is a prophetic timetable for Israel's future. God says that he appointed 70 weeks or 77s for Israel in which God would accomplish six things. And he lays them out, what he's going to do. And he says there, uh, and we'll get to those in just a second, but what Gabriel is saying is that, that Israel was appointed 70 times seven years. So God's thinking in groups of seven years here. We've got to keep that in mind. Israel was appointed 70 times seven years, which works out to be, again, 490 years in the Mount of Israel. And Gabriel says, uh, Israel's future is going to be played out within those 490 years. And, and so God's going to do six things in those 490 years he lays out. Number one, well, we're just going to go through them. To finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, and then to bring in an everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint the most holy place. So that's what God says. This is what I'm going to do in this amount of time. It's 490 years. When it's done, these things will be done. All right? So six things that God's going to accomplish in 490 years of Israel's history here. Israel's future history from the time of Daniel, right? Three of them are relating to sin and three of them are relating to righteousness. That's an easy way to understand. The three relating to sin there, he says, to finish the transgression, meaning all this transgression that's been going on, we're done with that. When we're at the end of that time, it'll be done. And then secondly, he says, uh, and similarly, uh, God will put an end to sin. God will bring an end to the action of sin. You, you, that won't be possible. Thirdly, there will be an atonement for iniquity. What does that mean? Atonement means a covering. The imagery was the, the picture of the pitch that was put on Noah's boat, the tar that was used to cover. The idea is that Jesus Christ would come on the scene, the Messiah would pri provide the ultimate covering for our sin. Behold the Lamb of God who doesn't just cover our sin, he does, takes away our sin, right? So all the sacrifices and everything the Jews were doing, we're looking forward to the actual Lamb of God that would be sacrificed because the one who would thoroughly take away our sin. So he's saying that in this time that would be accomplished. And then three other things God will accomplish concerning righteousness. Firstly, God will bring in everlasting righteousness, meaning God's rule will come here. The way that God rules things, let your kingdom come, your will be done, where? 
on earth as it is in heaven. That's going to happen. His rule is going to happen at the end of that time, basically. Secondly, God's going to seal both vision and prophet, meaning at the end of the 70 times 7, these prophecies will all be fulfilled. Okay? And then thirdly, and, and, and there's a little bit of give on here, but God will anoint the most holy place, uh, or literally the holy of holies. This is probably referring to the new temple that will be in the millennial age. God will establish his rule on earth um, when Christ returns. And so in that 490 years, God's timetable, he's going to do those six things. There's a lot of study there, obviously, when we go into each one of those in great depth, but we want to move along in a clip. So Gabriel gives Daniel that overview of Israel's history. But there will be 490 years, or 77s. But the question is, when does that start? And this is going to be cool, so you got to kind of listen in here. When does that start? When, when does that start? Daniel's looking at, in Babylon, he's going to go, this is coming soon, this, this timetable is going to start clicking off. When is that going to start? Guess what? Gabriel tells him when it's going to start. It's so cool. You just don't have to guess. Look, verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, and then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in troubled times. Now, part of the problem we have is in some of our translations, when you pull it directly from the original language, you kind of lose the understanding. So what I want you to I want to read the, the New King James Version to you on this verse. It'll help us a little bit. But the, basically what he's saying, I'll, I'll get to the reading of it in just a second. But what he's saying is that there's going to be a decree that comes out to restore Jerusalem and to, well, basically to build Jerusalem and restore the temple. There's going to be a decree that comes out that encompasses those things. And when you hear that decree, that's the, that's the, you can just click the timer and it's going to start going. And then these things will start following. And there were four decrees that we have recorded in the Bible that are regarding the temple. I'll read them to you real quickly, or I'll read about them. Um, in Ezra 1 1, and uh, basically uh, Ezra 5 13, Cyrus made a decree giving Ezra and the Babylonian captives the right to return to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. What's missing there? The wall. Right. Secondly, Darius made a decree in Ezra 6 6 and 517 BC. The first was in 538 BC. Darius made a decree giving Ezra the right to rebuild the temple. Then, thirdly, Artaxerxes made a decree in 458 BC giving Ezra permission and safe passage and supplies to return and rebuild the temple. All concerning the temple. What's missing? The walls. And so, the last one. The first of those three don't deal with the walls, and the decree was that the walls would also be included in this. And so the only one left is in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Artaxerxes made a decree giving Nehemiah permission and safe passage and supplies to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and the walls in 455 BC. When that decree went out, that started this timetable of 77s. Now, sadly, the ESV is a little bit confusing in verse 25 here. It takes things and moves them around a little bit. So, I asked Alex to pull up the New King James Version. Are we good there? 
Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah the Prince, there shall be what? Seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troubled times. That's much clearer to understand. A little bit easier. So what Gabriel is saying is that from the time that decree goes out, there's going to be basically 483 years. But it's going to be divided into two sections. It's going to be a seven-week period or a 49-year period. And then after that, there's going to be a some other math number, 468, 400-some-odd. Someone take 490 minus 53, uh, 49. Whatever that is. 62 weeks. Yes, I, Ruth just looks at me, she goes, oh my gosh, Dad. <laughs> yeah, I do other things. Uh, but basically, it's divided into two sections. A seven-week period and a 62-week period. Okay, until the Messiah. Total of 483 years. Are you kind of following me there? Everybody shake their head yes or no. I'm going to go back. Okay, ready? When the decree goes out, there's going to be 483 years until the Messiah comes. It's divided into two sections. One is a seven-year period, and the rest is a 62-week period. That's to say week because I don't remember the number. Okay? And that equals. In that first seven-week period, that first 49 years, do you know what happened? How long did it take to rebuild the temple? 48 years, 49 years. That's basically what happened. They, they started rebuilding the temple. And then after that was a time waiting for the Messiah to come. And this is kind of the intertestamental period where, where we were silent between the scriptures. So Gabriel says, after the temple's built, basically, there's going to be a 62-week waiting period. 62 group of seven years, 434 years. I did write it down. Until the Messiah the Prince comes. And this is so amazing, because on that day that Artaxerxes gave that decree in 445, 483 years later, using a 360-day calendar, because that's what they used, guess what happened 483 years later on that day? Guess what happened? Jesus Christ came riding in to Jerusalem on a dome, proclaiming himself to be the Messiah. Pretty wild. You know, for those of you who like this kind of thing, a guy named Sir Robert Anderson, who lived about a hundred and some years ago, he was from Scotland Yard, basically. He wrote a book on this called The Coming Prince. So, uh, Sir Robert Anderson, The Coming Prince. He does all these calculations. And then a guy named uh, Dr. Harold Honer did the same thing. He kind of went back and redid it. He's off, but he, he kind of thinks it's a year different. But the idea is they both come up with the same thing, that on that day, Basically, the Lord comes right into Jerusalem. So, and, and as he did, they were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. The scriptures are awesome. But something happens at the end of that 69 weeks. See, this is 69 weeks. How many weeks are there? 70 weeks. You've got one seven-year pyramid, year period missing. At the end of that 69 weeks, something happens. Read verse 26. And after the 62 weeks... In other words, it's already said the seven, so it's 69 total. The anointed one shall be what? Cut off and shall have nothing. In the first seven years, 
or 49 years, they built the temple, then you had the other group of time, and then the Messiah was cut off at the end of that 483 years. Jesus Christ died. Right? That's awesome. He, he predicts the death of the Messiah. Jesus, the Son of God, was cut off. He was crucified at the end of the 69 weeks, the, 60, the 483 years. And Gabriel then tells us at the end of verse 26, this is where we start getting interesting, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. What do we know happened in history? What did Jesus predict would happen after his death? The destruction of Jerusalem because they rejected their Messiah. The Messiah was cut off. And who, by the way, came in and destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD? Was it the Irish? No, who was it? The Romans. The people of the prince to come. Who's the prince to come they're talking about? The Antichrist. Remember, the Antichrist comes out of a revived Rome. He's saying of those people, those people, that fourth beast, so to speak, would, would come, they would come and they would destroy the temple. And that's exactly what, they, what happened in 78. Titus came in and they decimated Jerusalem. It was horrific. You can read about that in some history books. It's pretty Pretty descriptive. We did that when we went through Luke. We went over that in detail, basically, in Luke, how Jesus predicted the destruction of Jerusalem because they rejected their Messiah, and that not one stone would be left upon another. We know that the Romans mistakenly lit the place on fire. They lit the, the temple on fire, and it melted the gold that inlaid everything, and it went between the stones, and so they pulled the stones apart to get to the gold, and Jesus' prophecy is fulfilled there. And so Gabriel says that after the anointed one is cut off, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed by the people of the Antichrist who, who will come. So the Romans came in and they did that. And the end of verse 26 says, it shall end, uh, Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. It's going to be like a flood for them. It's going to come in. It's going to be horrible. There's going to be desolations that happen. And if you read Luke 21, verses 20 through 24, it speaks of this, how Jerusalem was ravaged. Jesus warned them. He said, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. And they did. They, they sieged Jerusalem. The Romans did for a while. It got really bad. They started so bad that they um, ate one another. Basically, they're eating their kids and all this kind of stuff. It was horrific. Said so when you see when you see that armies armies surround them, know that your desolation is, is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let that not those who are out of the country enter it. For these days are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant. And for those who are nursing infants in those days, where there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. And it's as if Jesus, when he's looking at the near fulfillment of Jerusalem, he then starts to peer out into the future, just as the angel did and say, that is just a, a precursor for what is going to come upon the people of God in the end times. That's what, he's, that's what happens here. 
They will fall by the end of the sword and be led captive among the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So desolations are decreed upon Jerusalem. And we see that Jesus saying that in verse 24 of Luke 21, that Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Has that been fulfilled yet? No. And we see through history the Jews keep getting slaughtered and Jerusalem keeps getting crushed under the foot of the Gentiles. Until the end of the seven years. And if you didn't notice, Daniel's describing a gap of time here. He's describing a gap of time. We've got 69 weeks, but there's one more week missing. Why isn't it right at the end of that? Because there's this age of the Gentiles, or as we like to call it, something different, or that the age of the church. <laughs> Amen? If you didn't notice that, it's pretty interesting. So Jesus was cut off 2,000 years ago, right? At the end of the 69 weeks, is what Peter says, even at that time, he says, why is everybody they're complaining? Oh, where's God? Where's his return? And Jesus says what? I mean, Peter says what? He says something to the effect of, the reason why the Lord hasn't come back is his long-suffering. He desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's waiting so long because of his great grace, because of us, and those hopefully yet to come. And so we're in, in, in between the 69th and 70th week of Daniel. That's where we are in, in, the, in the world history. We are right on the edge of the 70th week. Isn't that wild? Out of all the times you could have been born, this is it. Pretty interesting. We're on the edge of that 70th week. Remember the 70th week? Or 490 years is appointed to Israel. 69 weeks came, but there's one seven-year gap missing. There's one seven-year period missing. And that is what is called the tribulation. A seven-year period where Israel becomes the focus again. And a lot happens there as described here. But we read about this time in Matthew 24. We read about it in Revelation. This is the time when the Antichrist is on the scene, the final prince, the final kingdom, the final rebellion comes about. And Gabriel here in verse 27, having just described the end of the 69th week, he now skips forward in time to the 70th week in verse 27. And he, who is that? The people of the prince to come. So the prince to come, the Antichrist, and he shall make a strong covenant with many. That is speaking about the Jews. That's who we're talking about here. He will make a strong covenant with the Jews, basically, for how long? For one, what? One week, for seven years. And for half of the week, that is for three and a half years of that seven-year period, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offerings. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate. So that seven-year period is going to be divided in half, and at that middle point, something significant is going to happen that brings in this last three and a half years of that, which is called the Great Tribulation. So what Gabriel is describing here is that final seven-year seven period, the 70th week of Daniel that's going to come. And according to Daniel 9.27, it will be 
it will start by the Antichrist making a seven-year covenant with Israel. Now, real quickly, if you're reading this 100 years ago, you've got a problem. What's the problem? Israel's not there. What is it, 1914 or something like that, or something like that? They started to gather together, and then in 1948, what happened? They became actually a nation again. 1914, somewhere around there, they started, like, thousands upon thousands of Jews just started migrating back to the land. In 1948, they're all, they're all there again. They're a nation again. Very interesting. How many nations do you know that get slaughtered and spread out in the how many keep their language, their culture, all those things? Pretty interesting. How many of you have, have followed some world events without getting weird or anything like that? But how many of you know that the world's not really very fond of Israel? You ever notice that? Yeah, we like to say, oh, the Holocaust is bad. Which it was. But when it comes down to it, the world nations, they don't care. Israel is in an interesting place right now. Uh, President Biden just, just took over office, and, and one of his plans, as you're reading about, is to have Israel uh, have an, uh, They're trying to solve the conflict between the Palestinians and the Israelis, right? And so he's going to be pushing towards a two-nation state, a, a two-state a two solution. And this has been spoken of before for a long time. But how do you how do you bring peace to the Middle East? How do you how do you get everybody to get along? How how do you how do you let Israel exist? And how do you let these other people exist? How do you do all this? There's a and by the way, I'm not like I'm not saying anybody's the Antichrist and that stuff. But the conflict is there, right? There's a great conflict that's going on right now. We've seen in the past like the Camp David Accords that pull in this seven-year treaty between different people. The framework's already there, but basically what's going to happen is there's going to be a tremendous political savior that's going to come in with great power out of Europe, or reunified, reunited uh, Rome. And they are going to somehow broker a peace deal with Israel for seven years that's going to solve a lot of this. And I think it has to do with the temple being rebuilt. I think it has to do a lot of things. They want to rebuild the temple right now, but you've got a mosque on top of the temple mount. And you know how, you know, you just walk up to the mosque and say, we want to move that. How's that going to go? It's going to take a very dynamic, powerful leader to broker all this. And I don't know how that's going to work out, but the idea is that this seven-year treaty is going to come in. And there'll be the rebuilding of the temple attached with that. There'll be a peace with Israel, false peace established. This person is going to be dynamic, it's going to be powerful, and there'll be this peace that happens. But what happens in the middle of that? What does Daniel tell us? At the three and a half year mark, what happens? The Antichrist will end the Jewish sacrifices and offerings. That means there has to be Jewish sacrifices and offerings going on. There has to, that means there has to be a what? A temple and a priesthood. And yeah, you know, Eric and Eric, you can talk to them. You go to Jerusalem now. There's the Temple Mount Faithful. They already have the cornerstone established. They marched it around 
Jerusalem every now. They want to build the temple. They've got the priesthood figured out. They've got all the, the you know, the clothing, and they've got all the scepters. They've got all the materials and stuff. So there's a radical group that wants to establish all this stuff there. But what happens in this temple? Well, the three and a half year mark, the Antichrist is going to end the Jewish sacrifices and offerings. On the wings of abomination shall come one who makes desolate. What's going to happen is what he does starts to flush in a three and a half year period of absolute, total desolation, which the scriptures call the Great Tribulation. Two things are happening in parallel at that time. Number one, absolute, total persecution. Fury of the Antichrist being poured out upon the Jews and upon any believer and even the false church that he allowed to establish in the first three and a half years. He's just going to wipe out everyone. And then simultaneously, God's wrath is being poured off out in catastrophic ways upon the earth. You know, talk about global warming. This is the situation you need to worry about. This is going to, this is going to be really bad. A few verses that kind of bring us uh, clarity here. What's that event that happens that, that kicks this all off in the middle of that three and a half year of the last seven years? Second Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 through 4, you'll want to underline that, gives us the most clarity. It reads as follows. It says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to come from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. There's churches, and they're getting on the internet, and they're finding out all this weird stuff, and there's a lot of people with information. You know, that's how it happens today, but that's what was happening back then. They weren't getting their information from the Word of God or from the apostles. They were getting it from all the false teachers and everybody with all these conspiracy theories, black helicopters, and all this type of stuff, right? You, you guys ever... Kind of gravitate towards that stuff? Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Just, just listen to what they say. This is what Paul says. He's having to say, there were people saying, hey, the Lord came back. And Paul's all, no, that's not what happened. I know you guys are worried about this, Thessalonians, but that's not what happened because there's other things that need to happen first. And he gives us great insight here. Verse 3, he says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come. Jesus will not come unless... The rebellion comes first, the uh, falling away of people, and some people believe this is the catching up. I believe it's just the flat out apostasy of the church, although I do believe we go out first. But the apostasy of the church is to be a great falling away. And he goes, unless that comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Who's the man of lawlessness? The Antichrist, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against everything so-called God or object of worship, so that he does what? That he takes his seat in the what? In the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be what? God. This is the abomination that causes desolation that Daniel speaks of, that Jesus points to. He says, this is the key indicator that starts to pour out the wrath of God of revelation upon the world. He's going to be in that thing in the middle of that seven-year covenant, and he's just going to cut off all their sacrifices and stuff, and he's going to insert himself into the middle of the worship, 
and, and, and he's going to start to kill everybody else who doesn't worship him, all this stuff. And at that time, that's the abomination that causes desolation. And then the wrath of God is poured out and the fear of the Antichrist goes on to everybody else. This is a really bad time. Jesus describes these events here in Matthew 24, 15-22. Another verse you can write down. Matthew 24, 15-22. He says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Notice Jesus is speaking to the Jews. Then let those who are in Judea do what? Flee to the mountains. Run. Let the one who is in the housetop no, go down and take what is in the house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Then alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight not be in the winter on Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. You think it's been bad under Hitler. You think it's been bad under all this type of stuff. It is not only going to be bad here, it's going to come down from above on us. Well, amen. It won't ever be any worse than it is there, the Lord says at the end of verse 21. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect of those days, it will be cut short. That's what this event will begin two things. Again, God's wrath being poured out and the wrath of the Antichrist being poured out on the Jews and anyone who follows and identifies with Christ. They will lose their lives. This is an oversimplification of these things, but we're going to wrap back around to it again when we get into later in the game. But this is why he says there in verse 27, And on the wings of abomination shall come one who makes desolate, desolate until the decree... Uh, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. The abomination is going to go on until God ends it. When is he going to end it? At the end of the what year? The seven years. That's when he's going to stop. Jesus is going to return and he's going to speak. The Antichrist will be grabbed. It's going to be thrown out like a fire coal. And so, it's at that time that the King of Kings will return. Amen? It's at that time the Lord Jesus will touch down on the earth. He will establish his glorious kingdom on that seventh year. And I believe for a thousand years. And then that's going to wrap into the eternal kingdom and the new heavens and the new earth. And so we are in between the 69th and the seventh year. So if we're worried about COVID, <laughs> man, this is, this is something that's crazy that's coming out of the scene. We're in the church age. And we are blessed in a way, and Paul describes this in Romans. We're, we're, the, we're the beneficiary, basically, of, of Israel's rejection of Jesus. Israel's rejection of their Messiah. Because of that, God chose to create for himself a bride out of the Gentiles. Paul speaks about this extensively in Romans 9-11. This is where we are right now. There's a remnant always of 
of Israeli believers, right? People who love the Lord. There's a remnant. I believe there's a time when God's focus goes back on the Jews at that 70th week. But Paul speaks about their basically rejecting the Lord and very few believing. And they're in his eyes going to the Gentiles now. Romans 9 through 11 speaks about that. That during this time, Israel's eyes are veiled as a nation. But during that last seven-year period, they'll be unveiled. They'll look upon him who he pierced. And I believe the Lord will take us out at the beginning of that seven-year period. And I think that's when I believe that God will begin to anoint 144,000 Jews. You can't get around that they are Jews. You name them by tribe in Revelation. And they will preach the gospel. And they will all die. And those who believe will die. But they'll be given a special blessing. We'll get to that later. But, but there's going to be a massive revival in that seven years. An unparalleled persecution will happen on them. But Paul says in Romans 11, he says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. 11.25 A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That's what's going on right now. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will, be, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So the move upon Israel, the softening of their hearts, I believe is going to happen at the end of that, uh, when that seven-year period comes in. When their Messiah comes to rule right after that, it will be a sweet time as Jesus sets up his temple in Jerusalem, as the Jews minister to him, as we minister to him, and as the nations come before him, there's a lot more we have to explain. More to say, we're going to leave that for later. But the 70 weeks of Daniel, we're on the border of that 70 week church, it's pretty interesting. The time of the Gentiles could be complete pretty soon, wouldn't they? Um, we're seeing the stage set for the world, this world leader to arise. We see Israel back in the land. Um, we see the two-state solution kind of coming up here. You know, just scenarios in which um, there could be some kind of future peace deal brokered, but we're seeing great apostasy in the church, as the scriptures say, or we claim to be Christians, denying the lordship of Jesus Christ, watering down the gospel, denying the gospel, calling evil good and good evil. There are false Christs everywhere you turn. We've seen the reemergence of a unified, reunified Europe. The European Union has come together, and out of that will eventually come some form of this revived Roman Empire. We've seen the system uh, being tested, a dry run for the economic control that would be necessary for the Antichrist. That you can't buy or sell unless you receive the mark. And so on. It's a global situation. I'm not saying this is that. I'm saying that it's a dry run. That the systems are kind of being aligned there. We have nations rising against nations. We have wars and rumors of wars that have been going on. Massive global wars that have been going on and to greater degrees. There have been pestilence in increasing fashion. There have been earthquakes in various places. And now a global pandemic. 
you know, they come around, but these things are not the end times. They are the beginning of birth pains. These things will happen in two greater degrees. And this is just signs that there's more things to come. And so this is typical of the 60, between 69 and 70 weeks. <laughs> this is what's going on. Expect it. Expect a little bit worse. Expect it to get increasingly worse, church. I'm going to tell myself, man, i, I got to start getting mentally focused and stop complaining about stupid stuff. Start focusing on the Lord. Because this ain't nothing. The inconveniences or whatever it is we have, this ain't nothing. So we're in that gap of time. Exciting, but trying times. What a great time to follow Jesus, amen? It's exciting to see his plan unfold. You know, there's big pieces that are actually coming into view for the first time. We get to see them. We don't understand how they're all going to play out. It's a danger to sit there and say, this is that. But it's pretty neat to see, wow, this is kind of what he was talking about. I'm excited about that. Because our redemption draws near, Amen. And so, in closing, just uh, may we be looking to the author and the finisher of our faith in these times. You know? And I love the words of Peter. He says, basically, that as the church, that we would pay special attention to prophecy. And he's talking about his prophecy concerning Jesus. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. The Lord's given us a lamp and a light of his word in these times. He hasn't left us without the blueprint. He hasn't said, oh, you know, uh, just don't worry about it, I got it. You know, we're, we're brought in. No, we don't know the day or the hour, but he's definitely given us an outline, hasn't he? He's given us what to expect. He's warned us about what's coming. and He's told us what type of people we ought to be as we see the day approaching. Amen? So, uh, our prayer is come quickly, Lord Jesus, and in the meantime, keep us pure, and may many people come to know you through us. And uh, so, church, uh, just get ready. Get ready. Amen? When, when are you supposed to get ready? Right now. <laughs> I, would, I think you'd be going to... Sorry, that's ice falling, by the way. Um, yeah, it could be just like that. Um, but get ready, because... Um, you know, I just was thinking that this time has has, has shaken us up. And I think, like, as I've been talking with Pastor Arthur and other people, you know, we're always trying to go back to what we've done, try to grab an onto how things were. We want that stuff. I, just, I think this shakeup is real good for us. Because I think we need to let go of a lot of the things we've done. We need to. As a church, seek the Lord and the Spirit in this time and say, God, what are you doing? Because my plans, my home, all this is, is coming down to that moment. My kids, my wife, my family, what are you doing? I want to be about that. When you either shout and we are caught up with you or you come down, touch down, even to this, however you guys are convicted on this, if you will, either way, Jesus is coming back. What are we going to do? And it's interesting. Just 
you read about these people who were in captivity for 70 years. And God brought them back into the land. And dude, it was amazing. Like, they didn't even start building stuff. They were taking care of their own houses. Like, they, God frees them out of their, uh, out of, out of this 70-year captivity. The thing is, they've been so trained by the Babylonian culture. And they were put back in the land. This miraculous de- deliverance. That God, like, for 16 years they sat around. They just took the house of the Lord in shambles. I'm talking about the physical church. I'm saying the, the temple there was in shambles, but their own houses were immaculate. You know, it's like we need to abandon the home depots of our lives and, and be about the kingdom. Start investing in the world um, that God calls us to invest in. Apart from yourself. So I think this is a really good time as the church is, is we're getting shaken up and the things we've normally done are all Right. Don't start looking back for those patterns as much as looking towards the Lord and saying, what, what are you doing? I hear you. I'm ready. I'm your servant. I'm waiting. The work is, is lit. The light is on. I'm waiting for my bridegroom. Amen? So, Father, we come before you with that heart. Lord, we thank you for revealing these things in Scripture. It's just amazing to see that just as you said it would happen, it happened. And just as those things happen, what is coming will happen just as you said. Why would we expect any different? You are a God of your word. So Lord, we come to you and we ask that you would make our hearts correct, that we might confess and repent and be ready for the season. All the vain things that Charlie wants to sacrifice to you, to you, Lord God, I throw them first. It's that you are worthy of all this service. We thank you for our lives and what we go through. All these things we want to be a part of. Lord, they're nothing if they're not in our way. So be the center of our life. Teach us to seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness. And all the time we have to show up. So, Lord, our weeks and we pray that as we go out into the snow we'd be reminded of your blood that cleanses us from all sin and that we walk in that newness of life with you. In the name of Jesus, amen.